I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Hello and welcome back to the FT Arts Podcast. I'm Jan Daly, the FT's arts editor, and this week we will be discussing farce. It certainly seems to be popular right now. George Fado's 1907 farce, A Flea in Her Ear, is now previewing at the Old Vic in London. Alan Akebourne's Season's Greetings opened this week at the National Theatre and also in London, the French farce Once Bitten opened next week at the Orange Tree. But is farce always considered to be a low form? People talk of low farce. Will it ever be considered proper theatre and does it matter? With me to debate the subject are Sarah Hemming, the FT's theatre critic, and Sir Richard Eyre, the immensely distinguished director who is currently directing A Flea in Her Ear. Richard, what attracted you to Fado's play? I saw it first in 1966 in this translation at the National Theatre under Laurence Olivier, and I thought it was just the funniest thing that I'd ever seen. I then produced it when I was running Nottingham Playhouse 10 years later, in 1976. And it's always stayed with me as one of the most enjoyable pieces of theatre that I've ever seen. And I don't like categories in any art form. I don't like the, those sort of walls that are set up between, by generally by critics and analysts in order to compartmentalise um, art forms, what I think is, is, is it a good piece of theatre or is it a bad piece of theatre? And for me, it's an absolutely preeminent and wonderful piece of, of theatre. And in many ways, it's, it's playwriting pushed to its apotheosis because it's taking all the skills of the playwright, which are trying to compress events and plot into a, a plausible form in a very, very small time and a, a, a small set of a number of, of locations and pushing that to its limit. Well, certainly Michael Frayn has, um, is often quoted as saying that writing his wonderful Fast Noises Off was the most difficult thing he ever did. Sarah, is it a form that transcends forms, as it were? Can you, can you see a farce as simply a piece of brilliant theatre? Yes, and I think that when it is a piece of brilliant farce, you, you don't see that because you're so busy laughing. I mean, that's what's so wonderful about it. I think one of the things that's enjoyable is that there is that great skill. I mean, you described, you talked about Noises Off, which is a brilliantly constructed farce which um, portrays a theatre company doing a bad farce and then shows the farce they get into while they're doing it. So it's incredibly intricate. And as in the audience, you can... You can enjoy that, you can admire the skill, but at the same time it works on you. It's like playing a special game. And as Richard says, it is for the audience as well. I think it, that, that word apotheosis is a very good one because you're always complicit with actors when you're, when you're in, a, in a, an audience. And in this you're complicit in playing this ridiculous game where you take a piece of logic and follow it. So, you know, you, you forget yourself and, and, you, and you laugh and you become a child again. Is that what makes a good farce, somehow making us be a child again? It's more serious than that, though, isn't it? It's um, got a 
I'm not sure. I, I, I guess, in a sense, all theatre is, is childlike in, in that you have to enter into the, the game. You have to suspend disbelief. It's, it's a sort of implicit contract. It's, a, it's playing a game, um, being part of an audience. But um, I think it's serious in the sense that it's... it's people often say um, farce is tragedy speeded up. And it is. It does depend on hubris in the same way as as tragedy does. That somebody has to aspire to you know uh, something and be pulled down from the level of of their aspiration, whether it's social or sexual or, or political. Uh, fast doesn't work unless there's somebody who takes themselves very seriously, who need to uh, metaphorically and probably literally in fast have their trousers pulled down. So the characters, as you, I think, yourself wrote, have to have a lot to lose and a lot to fear. Um, it, in some ways, the same set of circumstances that lead us up to a tragedy are the, are the circumstances that suddenly turn a corner and become farce. Is that something that happens in this play, The Flea and Herea? Well, I think so. I mean, I think the, the circumstances in it are not dissimilar in some ways to Othello, aren't they? And you would be pretty hard-hearted if you sat there cackling away at Othello. But I, th- I think one of the things about Farce as a watcher, as, as a viewer, is that it it allows you to laugh at things that are really very painful, um, whereas you would be very hard-hearted if you were laughing at Lear or, or Othello. And it also... it. In a way, you're watching people losing it on stage. We're all staving off chaos most of the time, I think, in our lives. And you're, you're in the happy position of watching other people um, losing, their, losing their trousers, losing their dignity, losing their relationships. Um, but you're allowed by the form to laugh at it, which is very cathartic, I think. Much needed in these, in these times. In what ways is it different from directing, say, a Shakespeare tragedy i mean as a as a director the skills that you bring to it are they essentially similar no they're they're much closer to opera ah and um it's strange i i had been i did a production of carmen at the met which opened new year's eve this year and i'd been re-rehearsing it just before i started rehearsals for flianaria and it was strangely similar because what you have to do with the farce is follow the score and the score is a three-dimensional score. It, it embraces uh, movement, which is very, very precise, and rhythmic speech. And what is difficult for actors who come from a naturalistic psychological background is to accept that they have to play the score. So what you're doing the first couple of weeks in rehearsal is pulling them towards the score and trying not to sacrifice their urge to, to psychologize because that's obviously useful. They have to make complete characters, but on the other hand, they have to play the score, and that means tempo, uh, rhythm, tempo, pitch, and and being absolutely precise about it. And whenever anybody drops a stitch, I mean, it, it's exactly like somebody musically dropping a bar. That must be quite difficult for actors with the, with the training that they tend to have now, which is, as you say, towards psychologising, towards um, working out deeper motives and all the rest. Um, that's not what you're looking for in your actors when you direct a fast, presumably. No, but, but what you want is, is virtuosity. So you want actors who can do all that, uh, give a character, be truthful, and at the same time see that the... The uh, criteria are different in farce, and that while 
a sort of truthfulness is 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 essential it's also essential to abide by the the musical score and once they see that once they embrace it then they become completely obsessed by it and they they they're absolutely determined to get the musical values absolutely right so you do rehearse over and over again rhythms of somebody go ooh ah uh, ba um, and uh i mean literally that kind of thing and you say no the accent shouldn't be on the second beat it should be on the third beat and it's it's really as as precise as that and then when once you're playing you will hear the actors saying i just don't think that's quite right when the knot surely the knot should come there not there and um and they've become in effect fast musicians it's fascinating it is as if you're you are describing um conducting an orchestra um so it's a very interesting analogy um and presumably this the translation that you're working with is therefore also a work of art in its in itself because um that's where we get the english rhythms from but just to go back to the origins of 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 this um for a moment um in fado's day was was it a very um groundbreaking form i mean were people shocked when uh, at the turn of the century when this um thing hit their um stages with all its sexual in- innuendo and all the rest or was it already not, a well established form not really there, there was a well established genre and and la biche would be the the uh predecessor to to fado and what fado was doing was sort of complicating and sophisticating what labiche had done but there was a tradition of of boulevard theater of of farce and of of sexual comedy um i mean this is this is quite forthright i mean mm-hmm. for if you compare it to the ben travers farces of the 20s i mean this is a uh, a farce which depends for its uh, plot machinery on somebody who suffers from impotence who is uh, has the longish scene where he describes his erectile dysfunction and his wife uh, has assumed because he's been a very regular performer in bed that he must be having an affair if he's not mm. able to make love to her and that's that's the premise of of the plot uh, which is it's inconceivable in an english farce that that would be the premise of a farce yes it would even until quite recently i suppose well i'm afraid we're we're almost out of time but we'd love to have some christmas recommendations from you both this is a time of year when people love to go out and of course they will all come to see a flea in her ear but apart from that is there anything on this on our stages at the moment that you would um urge our listeners well, visit. I'm a bit uh, party pre, having run the National Theatre, but I would recommend Fella. Fella is is, is a, a, a musical about uh, a, an African musician. It's fantastically uh, energetic, vital, rather moving, and has a, a political content too. And for me, it, it's it's one of the best conceivable Christmas shows. I'm slightly allergic to pantomime. <laughs> yes, Sarah, you get your fill of pantos at this time of year. Yes, yes, I do. Um, 
Um, at the risk of over-promoting the National Theatre, I'd also like to remind people about Season's Greetings, which is a um, caustic piece, of, well, very moving, actually, comedy by Alan Akebourne about a bunch of relatives trying to have Christmas and making a spectacular mess of it. And if nothing else, it will make you glad for your own relatives because they can't be as awful as these. Um, I'd also recommend a small show for children, actually, The Young Vic, a very touching little Christmas show, not a pantomime, called My Dad's a Birdman by David Almond, which is funny and witty and has some farcical scenes in it. Um, it's, But it's really about a bereaved father and his daughter trying to overcome grief. He thinks he's a bird. It, it makes sense in the context of the play. <laughs> um, but it's really... So that's a very touchy. And one last, very quick one, which is not Christmassy at all, which is King Lear at the Donmar Warehouse, which is exceptionally moving. Definitely not Christmassy, but a five-star production in, in, in your recent review. Well, that's it for this week. The Arts Podcast will be back next week, but for now, it only remains for me to thank my studio guests, Sarah Hemming and Sir Richard Eyre, and to you all for listening. A Flea in Her Ear is currently previewing at the Old Vic Theatre in London. It opens on Tuesday and runs until March the 5th. Don't miss it. The Arts Podcast was produced by Griselda Murray-Brown. Goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.